Hello everyone, we are the Subo Tours and today we are going to be taking on two of the most explosive films of the year. Explosive. Kaboom! Hi Barbie! Hi Ken! Hi Barbie! Why am I Barbie? What? <laughs> <laughs> that was just fun to what? watch for a what? while. Hmm. <laughs> Automatic response. Should I feel why, bad? Wait, why am I? Am I Ken? Is he Ken? <laughs> Should I feel bad that I resigned to the fact that I might be Alan? On some level, <laughs> aren't we all Barbie and Ken? Yes, I do believe so. But on the real level, we are your hosts. I'm Misha. <laughs> I'm my. I'm glad I'm not Alan. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. He has great martial arts skills. He so. does. I did not see that coming. Yeah. Scott Pilgrim training. <laughs> I see, I see. Okay, in case you guys haven't guessed today, we are talking about the biggest movies of the year. We are, of course, talking about the phenomenon known as Barbenheimer. We, which is actually two films in one. This is, of course, Barbie from director Greta Gerwig and Oppenheimer, a thriller slash biopic from the man who brought us movies like Dunkirk, The Dark Knight, and Memento. And Tenet. <laughs> so let's get into it. Did you mention like, Greta Gerwig already? Yes, I did. Lady Bird. I think you're on the second time. <laughs> that was a great callback though. It kind of was. <laughs> Like, I was laughing. Okay, we'll get into it. Sorry. Okay. Roll the music. <laughs> okay, so somebody's clearly happy about the weekend. Okay. <laughs> As long as it's not the one in the idol. No! no. <laughs> the one without an that. E. The one without an E. Wukumdu. Missing we can, an E. We can, Missing we can, an E. Okay. An, an E. Okay. So these are two of the biggest movies of the year and they could not be more dissimilar. But for some reason, social media latched on to the idea of seeing these two movies at the same time. What was your Barbenheimer experience, guys? Amazeballs! Amazeballs. I should it, write that down. It was quite a bang. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. Yes, it was. <laughs> you, you gotta do the thing. It's fantastic. Wait, you said it's fantastic. <laughs> fine, fine, fine. I was expecting you to go, come on, Barbie, let's go party. <laughs> no, but you'd have so you can dress my hair and then the come on, Barbie, let's go party comes after that. So I've been seeing cinemas for the past week. They've just been absolutely jam-packed with people in pink outfits going into both movies. Mm -hmm. And yep. um, I, uh, people have been, the reactions have been amazing. Yes. What, what was it like for you? What order did you watch them in my... I watched them both on the same day. Mm -hmm. I am so... And I think I, I felt like it was a big reward for me because it came out during my birthday week. Oh, nice. Birthday. Happy birthday. It's not my birthday anymore, but you know, we when take it, it back. was out. <laughs> when it was out, yes, obviously it was around my birthday. So <laughs> I was so excited like for like months on end, knowing that it would come out on the same day. <laughs> Much less like the day before my birthday. So it's like, yes, this is how I'm celebrating. This is the perfect way to celebrate. So I was so excited. And nothing was gonna stop me. 
Not even my age. <laughs> like I had a plan B. Like, okay, if ever I get too tired, since I wanted to start with Oppenheimer, and that's mm-hmm. how the internet recommended it. Right, Oppenheimer right. first mm-hmm. in the morning, and then you have a fun brunch to talk about it, and then watch Barbie afterwards. I like the fun brunch part. Yes, because you need to <laughs> decompress after Absolutely. Oppenheimer, obviously. But what I felt was... After Oppenheimer, I thought I would be too tired because it's three hours long. It's Christopher Nolan, Mm -hmm. obviously going to be like something very heavy, cerebrally. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I thought I'd be like, oh no, I might not be able to watch Barbie afterwards. But right after Oppenheimer, I really had the itch to watch Barbie. Not just because I needed something to wash off the darkness and the heaviness of it all. But it was just like, after Oppenheimer, that was such a good movie. And I want to see if Barbie lives, up to, lives up to the hype of right. both, both of these being such good movies. And it did. It really did. I was so happy. I I caught Barbie first. So I was so worried about the Oppenheimer screening. <laughs> so, because everybody's saying like, you should watch Oppenheimer first just mm-hmm. to wash away right. like, yeah, any yeah. of the heaviness. But you know, it wasn't so bad. I had the urge to watch Oppenheimer Right after watching it for the first time, like I need to watch this again. Yeah. Yeah. So, but but then I didn't have the time to because you know it's three <laughs> hours long, <laughs> but it's just that good. Like both yeah. movies were great and they're in each in their own way. Mm-hmm. They're both vastly different from each other, but still, it's just amazing to have two great movies released at the same time, and it's a reward for anybody who gets to be able to see them. On, you know, on any given day. Yes. Um, in my case, I saw I saw Barbie first because um, they had the advanced screening, and I think you would have enjoyed it because they actually had a drag performance right before yes, they took us the into the divine theater. Divas, and it was I fun. Fucking love them so much. And um, yeah, so that that was it. There was a performance um, in the in the activity center of of Moa, and then they took us upstairs to the cinema, where even the entire corridor was all lit pink, leading to the I theater, leading to the cinema. That's cute. Yeah. And um, yeah, we had such a good time, honestly. And the next day, um, for another event, that's when we saw. Oppenheimer. What activations did they have for the event? They didn't blow anything up. I'm oh, sorry. Okay, no, okay, no, okay, no, okay. no, no, no. Or, um, or well, should I be happy that they didn't blow anything up? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, th- there were a couple of guys in suits. Does that count? I mean, I guess. I guess. Yeah, I mean, but um, for my money, honestly, I think IMAX is absolutely the way yes. to go for Oppenheimer. Fuck yes. Yep. Or heck, even Barbie. The production design was crazy. <laughs> yes, it was amazing. <laughs> I did not see both in IMAX. So there, there. More reason for you to watch again. Yeah, yes. that's right. Yes. Yes, IMAX was... It's not reason. It's an excuse. <laughs> and I will abuse that excuse. Yes. And you I, have I, every I was, right to. I actually felt bad because, you know, see, Deng had, had like a whole blonde wig thing and an outfit ready for, for Oppenheimer. And, um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, traffic was just really bad and, you know, Grab wasn't cooperating. So, yeah, that, that sucked, really. Um, and she didn't make it. Uh-huh. But um, it was just, it was just such a, powerful experience both of these films yes. honestly in, in completely different ways mm-hmm. Anjo's right um, they have nothing to do with each other nothing absolutely nothing nope. Nope. but they make such good counter programming to yes. each other such a good double build if I you put know. them together that I, I, I kind of want to see them both in the same day oh, it, it yeah, was yeah. it was so rewarding I felt like so fulfilled like my the part of me that really loves movies just was my soul was well 
full and fulfilled and she's, so happy. She was so happy. She's just mispronouncing words. I know. It's just like, it's not, it's not connecting in my brain anymore. But it's just, I felt, my heart felt so yeah, full. It, it's perfect because it's not overwhelming. No. Both experiences were not overwhelming. Mm-hmm, like, it's mm-hmm. not like, you know, some people would be so overwhelmed with memento. Yeah. You know? And I think it's the first really big double release ever since the pandemic. That's why people, right. cinema lovers yep, yep. everywhere were just so excited for this because it was just that special yes. for it, a lot of it's us. It's really an event, not just because um, th- these are the two biggest movies of the year, but I think a lot of it comes to the fact is one, neither of them is a sequel nope. and neither of them is a superhero movie. Oh, thank God. So, you know, for the first time, people were coming out to see Something original after mm-hmm. how many years, how many months of just, you know. Like a decade of like Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Batman and Superman. Right. In, in yeah. the dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the perfect antithesis to, you know, these superhero movies. And it's a good way to wash off that fatigue. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, also not a remake. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, Oppenheimer was based on um, a, a very popular biography on 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 J. Robert Oppenheimer. It was called uh, The American Prometheus. And um, I like the way Christopher Nolan treated it. It's essentially a thriller. You're not watching a biopic, honestly. You're watching something with the suspense ramped up to 11. You have this insane A-list cast and Josh Peck (laughs) um, (laughs) doing... Mean! And they're all acting their asses off. They are. Josh Peck. Okay. Yeah, it's good you're, you, at least you referred to him as Josh Peck. When I saw him, I was like, ah, oh, it's Drake and Josh. <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> even say Josh Peck. I just said Drake and Josh. He and has a name. Even if Drake is absolutely not there. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he has a name. It's Drake and Josh. Mm-hmm, yes, mm-hmm. and if if Oppenheimer's suspense, drama, and all of that was ramped up to 11, that's just how fun Barbie was. It yes. was cranked up to 11 too. Absolutely. And, and they also had a great cast. Yes. And the performances were Insane. equally as amazing yes. as it was Absolutely. Oppenheimer. So just both together would recommend on the same day over and over and over again. Yep. Totally worth it. There were great movies, but not without imperfections though. Which we will get into. We'll get into. So let's talk about Oppenheimer first. Since that seems to be everybody's preferred order. Yes. (laughs) Mm. So what's this movie about? Bombs. You the bomb. (laughs) Let me have my time. No, you're getting a timeout is what you're getting. (laughs) Sit down. (laughs) Well... I would describe it the same way. It's about the life of Robert J. Oppenheimer. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. J. Robert. J. Robert. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I know it's weird. That's the J comes first. We're not used to it, but that's just how it goes. So J. Robert Oppenheimer, Mm -hmm. who is known as the father of the atomic bomb, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and how he essentially created the most deadly weapon of that time, and how he became or became a pariah of the site of. You know, um, of the country that asked him to build the thing the, in the first place. Exactly. I'm so proud of you, Misha. Usually, does the synopsis. Yes, I am also proud of you because I would have said something stupid like the scarecrow was helped by you know Gilderoy Lockhart to build the <laughs> atom bomb for Private Ryan, <laughs> and Iron Man wants to take him down for it afterward. That's how I would have said, described this movie. After that whole roundtable discussion he had with Green Goblin, Polka Dot Man, <laughs> you know, hmm, interesting. And Josh Peck was there. I feel 
Bad for Josh Beck. <gasps> and Josh Hartnett. Oh my God, Josh Hartnett. Josh Hartnett. Okay, that's right. Okay, now that my screaming about Josh Hartnett. <laughs> can we get, okay, can, can you just get, get this over with? First portion. Let's go. Okay, Do it. fine. Go. No, actually, it was just very a very pleasant surprise because Je- Josh Hart, before we get to the actual phenomenal cast, let me get to the first portion. Josh Hartnett is known in our time. In our... <laughs> in, I know. I know how that sounds, but I'm going with it. This is a little bit past your time, Misha. Fuck off. No, but we know in our generation as millennials... <laughs> <laughs> as millennials, we know Josh Hartnett as the rom-com guy, the pretty boy. Mm-hmm. And we haven't, exactly. That's true. And we haven't seen him for like years right. on end. And mm-hmm. then he pops up here and also holds his own in terms of acting. That sure. made me so happy. I think this is the most serious movie I've seen him in. Yes. Wait, wait. I just realized something. He was in Pearl Harbor. Yeah. yeah this but- is revenge. <laughs> <laughs> this is Josh Hartnett. Are you revenge. saying that Christopher Nolan made a shared universe movie with Michael Bay? <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. So now he's making a bomb to take his revenge on Japan. That's horrible. Oh my god. This but, movie has so many layers. No, uh, that's an added layer. I never thought about that. Obviously, yeah, that's probably a coincidence. Can I just, okay, probably can I, a coincidence, can, can, but you know, it's just funny now that I realized it. I just want to add this, like, you know, to your thirst portion. I normally don't do this, but you know, like seeing Josh Harden, he did look good. And I can't believe I'm gonna use this term because I've heard it from friends. He's a zaddy. <laughs> Did I say it right? Uh, Is it? Did I use zaddy. the term zaddy, right? Zaddy. I uh, can't believe it. I can't so believe bad. that word came from Anjo today. I know, I, I know. I really can't believe I he used it. He just pulled this. that out of his fanny pack. <laughs> hey, that fanny pack saved your lives. Fine, fine. So basically the movie covers like 20, 30 years of J. Robert. Jay, Jay comes in front. Jay Robert Oppenheimer's <laughs> Jay life. Jay Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> from the time that he was a student and uh, from the time he takes up quantum mechanics and decides that he wants to pursue um, his science no matter what the cost. And um, I think what really made, well, part of the reason the movie is three hours long is that it doesn't just stop with the successful detonation of yeah. the first bomb. It continues with all the consequences and the toll that building this weapon of death did to the guy's soul. And I think that's what I appreciate about, mm. I appreciate about it, that it's not just this USA, USA nonsense. Ugh. You know, this is really a deep dive, a character study about a guy who essentially, you know, um, had to live with what he built. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a good, it's a good question of morality. It's mm-hmm. something that this movie was a- able to pull off better than Mission Impossible. That's true. Mm-hmm. For you, for reference, they can catch the last episode. Wow. Oh, segue. Okay, so what this made me feel during the beginning of the movie is like, I am so stupid. <laughs> I am such no. a dummy. No, because no. these are scientists. These are geniuses, physicists, scientists, and all the ists. <laughs> and all the smart people because they're, you know, making this scientific marvel. But at the end of the movie, I felt like at least I know I have my heart in the right place for knowing the consequences and all the lives lost and mm. feeling bad made me at least feel like, oh, I have a moral high ground. <laughs> mm. Yes. <laughs> at least, I, I, not moral high ground, but then at least I know that the devastation this brought and I felt 
every single core in my core that I think, this was such a dark moment for humanity. I think that's just a testament to how good a, a storyteller Christopher yeah. Nolan is. Is that even with all these political and scientific jargon, he was able to tell a story very clearly Mm-mm. about the consequences and able to question the morality of the characters and the audience members yeah. to question the morality of who mm-hmm. holds too much power, you know, who who should be feeling worse, you know, if it's the creator or if it's the hand that pulls the trigger, mm-hmm. right? So it's a really good question to to discuss. It's a, it, but I think that if it's if a movie allows a certain dialogue to be discussed afterwards, it makes yeah. for a great movie. And I love the feeling of, um, yes, you do sympathize with how Oppenheimer was just thrown into the dirt after his achievement, quote unquote. And, and you know, everything. I know. But, you know, they just like kicked him out in the dirt. But at the same time, you don't, you, you don't know if you should feel bad or not because he still created a monster. That is true. And that is still haunting everybody today. Exactly. Because what he was hoping or he was delusional enough to think that his government would use this weapon as an instrument for peace. Instead, he pretty much kicked off the Cold War where all the world powers were in a race to build bigger and better bombs. Yeah. Which they did. They did, pretty much. The hydrogen bomb came after and they have the Tsar bomb. It's like a domino effect that he never expected, but also at the same time he should have considered. Kinda. Essentially, like okay, hate referencing, hate referencing superhero movies now because of the burnout and because you know Tony Stark is in this movie also, <laughs> right? But, you know, um, essentially, this is what Iron Man's job is. He's a warmonger. He's a he's a guy who makes money out of weapons, and that's what J. Robert Oppenheimer is. They spent $2 billion on, a pro- on the Manhattan Project. Yeah, but he wasn't the one making money off it. He was just spending the government's money. He wasn't- the, it, launched the, it launched something that nobody wanted. Well, know? it was a big part of the military-industrial complex moving forward. But at the end of the day, um, I think he just wanted to be proven right. That his theories about quantum mechanics, quantum physics were had substance. And that he, he basically, he really did like being the smartest guy in the room. Yes, yeah. from what I saw in the movie, and it's creepy how Killian Murphy actually looks like Oppenheimer. It's fucking creepy. I I just googled it earlier, and I was like, holy shit! You know what's creepier? Like if you've seen the younger photos of Oppenheimer, he actually looks like the the actor who plays the brother when Oppenheimer had more hair. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So Sorry, I-, I went into a deep dive of Oppenheimer <laughs> after the movie. So I was like, oh, so that's what he, he looked like, the brother. Yeah. Mm, okay. So that's good casting. Really good. That's great and casting. It's phenomenal. Well, it's an understatement to say it's good because every fucking buddy in this movie just like… They're- Amazing. As is off. Absolutely amazing. Even the small roles. They all have a, you know, like you forget the names, but they all have their time to shine. Yeah, like Mr. Robot was in there. And um, (laughs) Mr. Robot. uh, I didn't even recognize Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman was the president. He was President Truman. Like, holy shit. And he was so amazing. (laughs) And that one moment when he just turns to Oppenheimer and says, nobody's going to remember who made the bomb. They're going to remember who dropped it. I like what he said when Oppenheimer left. Like when he said, get that cry, uh, I'm never going to see that crybaby out of here. Uh, Mm. Something to that extent. Yeah, I was like, fuck. Wow. Damn, that switch from, you know, being, ha ha, congratulations. He's a politician. proud, ha ha. And then. Yep. I like how he taunted him with that whole, 
he like wipe your hands clean off. He took off the his handkerchief. You know, he gave him the handkerchief. Wipe your hands clean. Yeah. You weren't the one who pulled the trigger. Yeah. What well, are you crying about? Well, a lot of people this. say that that's why Oppenheimer wanted to push for regulation of nuclear weapons after the fact. But um, basically, he the was just washing himself of his of the yeah. blood on his hands. Mm. But um, I think that even if we don't actually see the devastation that the weapon causes, because we stick with him pretty much throughout the whole movie. Um, I like that we see um, his internal struggle, which yeah. Killian Murphy is amazing at doing with nothing but his body language, oh his, his, eyes. His, eyes. his eyes. He does that every time in Peaky Blinders. It was so refreshing not hearing him in a Cockney accent, with a Cockney accent. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, and the cast around him absolutely is doing their best to play off him and react to him accordingly. Even small parts that could have easily been thankless roles like, like, like Florence Pugh as, as his coming. mistress, who um, you know, was a communist and all that. And most of her scenes here, she is, she's in the nude. But you, know, you, don't, you don't doubt the, 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 the importance that she had yes. in his life from the way that they react to each other. Mm -hmm. In fact, one of the best scenes between the two of them has them just sitting in the nude, like in armchairs facing each other, having an ideological debate. Yeah. And that is more powerful than any number of scenes where they're grinding crotches. Oh, speaking of grinding crotches, remember that one scene where they were actually grinding crotches? It was probably the most awkward theater theatrical experience I've had because... I watched it in Eastwood, mm -hmm. in the Lazy Boy Cinema. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you get you get to have your um, your free popcorn and drinks. drinks. So yeah, I they was bring being, it to you. So this this scene, this particular scene where they're grinding crotches, happens. That that just so happens when my popcorn was served. So they were, you know, like the lady was giving me my popcorn, and my drinks, and then she was trying to put my bottle of Pepsi in the cup holder, and she couldn't put it in. As the scene was happening. So she just kept attempting. <laughs> she, kept, she kept trying to work that bottle. <laughs> she kept trying to work that bottle in the cup holder. I was like, Ate, thank you. Thank you. Okay na, okay na. Thank you. That was so awkward. That is so weird. It last, I'm not kidding. It lasted the whole scene. I was like, okay. I just want my Pepsi. <laughs> Pepsi. Okay, I'm done. Yes, I just speaking I of imagine. theatrical experiences, we all know it was great, but I had that one awkward moment. <laughs> Something I thought was neat about uh, you know how Christopher Nolan tries to do everything in camera if he can, he tries yes. to do everything practical, shoot it on location and whatnot. In on um, film, apparently they f designed the schedule of the filming around Killian Murphy's hair. <laughs> what? So what? They what? put all the scenes where his hair was the shortest at the beginning of the schedule, and they kept going. His hair gets longer and longer and longer. And um, well, it makes sense. That will help with continuity. It, it it does make sense. It lessens the load on the hair and makeup people. But isn't that like mostly backwards? Because he had less hair towards the end. Well, we we know that he likes shooting in nonlinear timelines. Yeah, yeah, it was insanely <laughs> nonlinear. But I think it was still more linear than most of this guy's mm -hmm. movies. At the end of the day. Yes. I mean, fuck, after you've seen Memento, you're just gonna be happy that, oh, I understand where this is going. Yeah, yeah. this was the most linear I've seen, barring Batman. This was like. You know, there's the a easy. feature on the special edition DVD of Memento. You can watch it in reverse. You can watch it. No, no you watch it chronologically. Oh, <laughs> do you have a copy? Yeah, somebody stole my copy. Ah, shoot. Boo. Boo. Anyway. But, yes, okay. So a lot it. has been made about how. 
um, a nuclear test blast was recreated, um, not with actual actual nuclear weapons, but it was done in camera. They shot an actual huge explosion in the middle of the desert. Um, what do you guys remember from that part? I just, you know, did it live up to the hype? Considering how impossible it is to recreate a nuclear bomb, that was that shot was amazing, and how he depicted it, it was just, you know, like in terms of artistically showing the audience um, how an atomic nuclear blast would happen. Mm-hmm, that was mm-hmm. pretty good. Something that I also really appreciated about this film was the sound design. More oh, than the visuals. Yes. Mm-hmm. So even surprisingly, it wasn't Hans Zimmer. But it still lived up to what Nolan's direction is with how he does his sound in his movies. Mm-hmm. So it's still very, very um, distinct. Yes, His I- style is very distinct when it comes to audio. And... What I loved about this, you are constantly bombarded with so much sound. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's yes. like, mm-hmm. it's yes. so intense. Like even in the most normal moments where they're just talking, but the sound for some reason, it's just like, it's suffocating you. But when that moment comes, when the bomb finally goes off, complete silence. I like the fact that you use those words to describe the experience. To me, it, it just explains how overbearing yeah, it could it be. It was Absolutely. overwhelming. It's like it's suffocating you and it's it, feel, right? you feel like yes. you're about to explode yes. with how intense the sound design was. Like in, in my thoughts about it, you know, like the experience of it, having to manage a project as big as that, you know, it just added to how heavy it was probably for him. Yeah, as the project manager of of Project Trinity or pro, um, the Manhattan Project, mm-hmm. so that alone, just just being able to achieve that feeling for the audience members by just the sound alone, mm. is, is just something you you should commend him. It yeah. just it just adds to how good how good a storyteller, how good a filmmaker Chris mm. Nolan is, because it's so holistic from the images to the characters to the writing to even the sound. Because yeah. some people just take you know, you just take sound design for granted. Just take soundtracks for granted because they just easily get the biggest song of that time and just add it into a movie. No, like Nolan would go towards the more original route. He would work with the composer. He would work with the sound engineers on how to design his sound specifically. I remember for the, for the ba- some of the Batman movies, he would have some of the, these musicians create original instruments just to be able to recreate some certain sounds that he wants to hear in the movie. Um, I, I I agree with you. It is it is absolutely a it's holistic insane. experience because like it's not just the actual explosion itself, which would have been impressive. Like the bigger the screen, the bigger the boom. Fine, that's cool. And the soundtrack works by going silent. Yes, but I also like the buildup. The tension is ridiculous. Yes. The 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 sequences that are leading up to the actual detonation. It's like you know you you can't even breathe honestly because every there's so much riding on this test. There's so many people. There's so many things that could go wrong. That they it was just dumb luck that they were able to pull it off when they did. And timing two billion wise, dollars. Timing wise, weather wise, personnel wise, everything had to be just perfect for things to have happened as they did. So that when it finally happens. You're right. You don't need a soundtrack to, you know, to tell you how to feel because mm-hmm. you're right there with them. So this good. is probably one of the most immersive movies I've seen. So watch it in the IMAX. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no complaints there. Okay. No complaints there. Yeah, sure. No complaints Easily. there. Okay, so I think it's pretty safe to say that we liked, we loved Oppenheimer, but the um, cast. Oh my god. <laughs> I have a question. I have a question for you. Now that you mentioned the cast, who was your favorite character? 
Fucking A. It's a hard question. Mm. Right? <laughs> wow. Silence just like the explosions. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard because every single person in that cast really just did yes. so well. Not just Killian Murphy. Emily mm. Blunt. I would say Emily, Emily Blunt, Blunt, Blunt was, was amazing. amazing. She was my favorite. I don't have a favorite, but Emily Blunt was able to just capture the the angst of like uh, this woman who just has to like okay ride along with her husband's ambitions and have the baby, the fucking baby, to herself until the point that she has to like turn to alcoholism. You know mm-hmm. all all that, but at the end of the day, still stick by him. But when at the most pivotal moments, you know it's that complexity. I, I love how how strong. Her character was. Yeah. Even if she didn't have enough screen time, not enough, even if she didn't have a lot of screen time, she was still able to carry that message. Mm-hmm. And her dignity was incredible. Yes. Like she was oh, like, that, yes, she, exactly. was, she was so stoic, despite the fact that, you know, her husband was being a lying, cheating bastard to her face. But even she, cared how they were perceived by the people who were persecuting them. She cared about him fighting back and standing up for their mm-hmm. name. Yeah. So and even with that visual of her like trying to um like you know being on his side but still envisioning him with his oh, mistress. Yeah. Oh that was horrible. That intense yeah, that scene with Florence Pugh. That that like she's still haunted by that. Yes. Man, that was heavy stuff. Yeah. I, I like that one part where she finally gave his, her testimony. That, that for me was her one big yes. scene. When she was just she was like, just like, fuck you. She was manhandling uh, the lawyer. It was mm-hmm. like, that was so much fun to watch. Kind of sucks that he still didn't get his clearance back though. Yeah, well. I really hope that, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to be surprised. Like, half of this cast is going to get Academy Award nominations I know. for sure. <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. I know, acting right? circles around everybody. Right well, now, not really because they're all running around in circles Yeah, in this but point. Robert Downey had more on his shoulders because he had to prove that, you know, he could still act after Dr. Doolittle. Uh, and Iron yeah. Man, I guess. Yeah, well, Iron Man, sure. But the problem with Iron Man is that he was basically the same character for like a decade and a half. Yeah. So he really had a lot to prove. And he... He's he's an incredible bad guy in this oh one. Oh my god! You would, he wasn't so bad at first, and then you realize you get into the thick of the movie, and then you see how bad of a character he was. Again, like, you I will mean, hate him. Look, how he's like, driven by his ego, like Truman. He's a politician. That's yeah. what they do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I love his interview where he was like, "Okay, what's your takeaway from this movie?" And surprisingly, it was a very feminist day for me because, like, it was even Oppenheimer being like. So many men, like so much testosterone. But Robert Downey Jr. himself in an interview said, oh, I learned that, you know, we should be a matriarchy because men fuck everything up. (laughs) Something like that. No, no, it was something something like somebody said, oh, your movie, just three hours of men talking to each other. And he said, yeah, exactly. That's the problem. Like maybe if we spent more time listening to each other, (laughs) we'd get more done. And he's never changed his position that he's always been in support of a matriarchy. Yeah. Which was like, you know, it's weird hearing these words come out of Tony Stark's mouth. Mm-hmm. Billionaire but, playboy. Playboy. Philanthropist. Which is, yeah. Yeah, but, 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 you know. Oppenheimer's like one of those. He's the playboy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think Oppenheimer was kind of a, you know. Um, he's a womanizer. He, well, only one that we were shown. I mean, but based on what we saw… I would say he was weak more than anything else. He was driven by his ego. He was driven by his impulses. Um, I wouldn't say he's a womanizer, womanizer. I think he's just, 
someone who doesn't exactly what Emily Blunt says to him. Aren't you going to stand up for yourself? He, he can't. No, he mm-hmm. can't. It's that's like it, when it's right in front of him, he he folds. That is why I loved Emily Blunt. Because mm, yeah. she can call him out on his bullshit. Yeah, like behind every man, there's a strong woman to back him up. Well, it's it's more of I. Also, a takeaway from this is just like ah, uh, it's amazing how men's ego can just take us to like catastrophic lengths because especially with um, Robert Downey Jr.'s characters, personal vendetta was always circled around how he wants to yeah his humiliation and how he wants to get revenge on Oppenheimer when in fact one of the pivotal moments that made him want to do that was not as he understood. Right, right. It wasn't right. about him. That's true. That's amazing. That's true. Um, okay, the movie is three hours long, so they cover a lot of ground. But what would you have liked to have seen or what would you have done differently if you were going to give this thing another crack? Okay. I, again, I loved it, but it's not perfect. I found like it was overwhelming informationally <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because there were the editing, especially in the first act was so fast and I appreciate that it's fast because you don't feel like it's a three hour movie but it was a little too fast for you to realize who's who and at the end of the day realize who's on his side and who's not because you don't really get to know the other characters as well because everything just goes on so fucking fast I understand that. I yeah. understand where you're coming from. Yeah, because it's Act like, one was a bit confusing yeah. to me. Like, like I couldn't understand the whole communist party thing in context to the story until like l- the later part of the second yeah. half. Right. And I was like, ah. Oh. And there's just so many people involved. Like, who's that again? Who's that again? Ah. You just know them by their faces. <laughs> but like, you never really <laughs> either, get to understand who, what their character names either, actually are. You either know them by their faces or their accents. Ah, oh, it's Hungarian dude. Ah, oh, it's British dude. Oh. It. It's Bernard from the Santa Claus. Oh. <laughs> it's Casey Affleck for one scene. Oh, right. right. That's Rami Malek. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I many random up. people who's like, wow, you are kind of overqualified for this role. But okay, you milked it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about you, Ajo? Anything you would... I would have the same I would have the same um, sentiments sentiments as you did yeah um, well for me personally um, this is the first time where that I can recall where Christopher Nolan actually took the time to put a sex scene into one of his movies mm-hmm. and I think it's just unfortunate that it's it's a sex position scene you know it's like in Game of Thrones where people are trading um, narrative information while inexplicably naked for no reason. And in this case, um, in this case, it felt somewhat exploitative, exploitative to have um, these two people going at it and um, they decide to bust out the quote that Oppenheimer is most associated with about becoming death, the destroyer of worlds, which is taken from, from, from Sanskrit scripture. So I understand why uh, the Indian audience was massively offended by this. I get it. I get yeah, it. I get it. Because that's their scripture. <laughs> it absolutely is. And it's in a scene where people are bumping uglies. I, I, uh-huh. I am sorry. I could not fully absorb what was happening there because again, Pepsi. And that <laughs> the, the woman was working your bottle. Yes. Yes. That was just so awkward. I really yeah. couldn't, I couldn't pay attention. So It's a good thing you stepped in before I made a mess. Oh my God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, look, I mean, 
I love a good sex scene as much as anybody, but I just thought it was kind of out of place the mm-hmm. way they just threw the quote in there as a justification for it. Yeah. Because the way yeah. they int- they've already established that he's a fan of West Asian literature. And um, we didn't need him to open the book and to actually read it aloud, you know, while she's straddling him. Because he says the whole same damn thing later on when the test goes off anyway. They could have said it after when they were, you know, like done mm-hmm. and getting to know each other. Or, you know, it's just very strange pillow talk. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That is that is exactly what it was. Very strange pillow talk. One more thing. I think this is mainly because of my knowledge, prior knowledge of Christopher Nolan and my expectations. But we're always going to attach him to his fr- former projects that were larger than life. We have like how they mounted Inception and how much of a visual feast it was Mm -hmm. and all his other um, um, films films that came after. But in this one pivotal scene where you find Oppenheimer at his peak of maybe realizing his guilt and Ah. what happened, that scene where it could have been so big. Because this is where he realized he's talking to the crowd of Los Alamos and saying, okay, it was a success. Um, I wish we used it on the Germans, blah, 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 blah. It was his proud moment. This is the this is the culminating celebratory moment for this. But then this is where he feels the guilt. And he has visions of people, you know, exploding or like, you know, the actual repercussions of people dying. But you only see like the crowd suddenly disappearing. You only see one you only see one person with their face melting off and you only right. see him step on like this ashy corpse. And I felt like this was such an important moment and knowing Nolan, he could have gone so much bigger with this. You, you, yeah, I, I agree. Now that you've pointed it out, I agree. If this guy was able to turn summer Chicago into winter Chicago while the whole Batman um, police versus Bane's army thing happened, he And he have... was able to generic why things! Exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a, that's nice. That's my thing. Jamiroquai things. Okay, okay. You're dating so yourself. Okay. 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 We will we will use that. We will use Jamiroquai things. So I yes, I firmly believe Like these kids, you know the reference. So I firmly I firmly believe that Nolan with Jamiroquai things could have done so much more. Yeah, but you I know agree. you know how important that moment is? And I was like right after I was like I felt the heaviness because of the speech, but that's it. But it, you know, like it would have been more visually striking, yes, if we saw like charred cities and melting bodies and all that stuff. I don't think I don't think Mai was was gonna going to refer to charred cities. I think she was going for more of the execution. The, it's yeah, more of I don't know if he's the more human aspect. Just seeing the crowd, right, right, being melted. By by this device that he created, because that would have weighed more if he saw it in the people he was seeing at that time. I, I understand, but I was also I'm also thinking that it's more effective and it's scarier, like if it is just this overbearing shadow on everything. Like even with the explosion, the test blast, they never show the whole thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. They only show it in sections just to get across the idea of how ridiculously huge this thing is. Also because they couldn't do a real mushroom cloud. But, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. but we should have gotten Super Mario then. Oh my God. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just saying that 
Um, I think it's more effective just the suggestion of it rather than um, going all in nightmare fuel. Or either go all out nightmare or go dark like what you mentioned. But this was in between. Eh? Right. Uh, pseudo so he should yeah. have chosen one. Yeah, choose yeah, one. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. That's my opinion on Yeah, so you put it in a good way. So it's either you go all out with, we know he can, mm-mm, or he can mm-mm. pull back and yes, would yeah. still be effective. Right. Guys, naubos yung budget sa explosives. Alright. Alright. They only had that one extra with the flapping skin. Mm, uh, it was a big yeah. kaboom. Yeah. <laughs> it was a big Although, kaboom. Although, yeah, I did feel it. I, you know, I did understand, but just, it's maybe my expectation it, of Nolan mainly. It also really helped. That scene wouldn't have made an impact if it wasn't for Killian Murphy's performance. Yeah. Yeah. That 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 whole you know it was just really a close up of his face, nothing but he more. Was so good. But then you see you see the heaviness in yeah. it, which is why for me that was probably the heaviest part in the movie. Like, I think this is where I kind of burst. It not kind of like I felt myself explode internally, or like maybe some yes, some tears came out because that's when it dawned on me like seventy thousand to a hundred thousand people. The one scene that made me feel that way was when they announced it on the PA system right before his speech when you saw all the faces of the people who worked on it. It's just a, you know, it's just a testament to how how great, how how much he milked the performances out of these yeah, guys. Like you saw, yeah, it was building up to that. Building yes. up to that. Yes. But yes. you saw like, like there was a shot of, you know, Jack Quaid, De- Dennis Quaid's son. Nisha. What? Okay, never He's mind. a okay looking guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Jack Quaid shaking hands with a fellow scientist, but then you look at their facial expressions and you didn't know if they were going to be happy or guilty. Yeah. Mm. And then it built towards that one speech that Robert yeah. that, that that Killian Murphy was going to give. And it just shows you how much workshop they put into this. Yeah. Even those small roles. You couldn't even tell what his name what the characters' names of the of what, what Jack Quaid's character name was, but then you felt it. Yeah. And then later on, there's this just guy puking outside. Exactly. And that, it's you know, like, they didn't really have to Jamiro quite much of the scene. Jesus there. Christ. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But yeah, it's not much. I guess it's nitpicking. It's nitpicking, but still overall amazing. Yeah, it's just finding an excuse to, nit- to, to find something wrong with an overall excellent movie. Uh, well, you know, it's all about, well, it's not, blah, blah, blah. it's not without its faults. Yeah. But it's just generally an 11 out of 10 for me. You don't math good. Yes. <laughs> Alam mo yung, yung pag exams ka, tapos yung 10 of 10, tapos may bonus question. That's mm-hmm. 11 out of 10. Well, well I thought it was I would, great. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, it was great. Just maybe not 11 for me. Because, okay. because I have these, um, especially with the editing at the start, like I wish I under, well, you know, may, may, I, maybe, I wish they could have like taken a little bit more breathing time to, for you to get to know the people and for it to really affect you yeah. more when they finally betray Oppenheimer. Maybe I was just really in a mood for a talking film that day. Yeah. yeah. I get it. I came from work. <laughs> Either way, I mean, it elicited a lot of emotions and a lot of um, conversations that are happening now because people are talking about um, why are we glorifying a war criminal? But mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think the film glorifies no. him. I think it invites conversation on who and what he was, what he did, and the consequences of his and all the other scientists' actions. But if people want to learn more, you know, there's 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 books, there's documentaries for that. And um, I'm I'm just really happy that the film really holds together as a standalone piece. But if it gets more people talking about it, all the better. Because yeah. these are things that we really should never stop talking about, yeah, honestly. It, it would be scary if there was a part two. 
Nope, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm done with one. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, this is the portion where we go to brunch and um, <laughs> we, we, we decompress. And uh, when we come back, we will be talking about Barbie. That was a good brunch, wasn't it? Oh, mimosas. <laughs> the second movie we're going to be talking about is actually the first half of Barbenheimer, but it'll form the second part of our program because you'll go crazy if you do it the other way around. So we are going to be talking about Barbie. Barbie! Barbie! It's fantastic. Yes, it was. It was. It, really it was. was. Spoiler alert. It's, it's really good, guys. Oh, it's so good. Like, holy hell. My seven-year-old self is very happy. I mm. did not expect that movie to be that good. I went in that movie not knowing what it what it would be about. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I thought it would be some some sh- shallow shallow movie about Barbie and just be about Barbie. Mm-hmm. When in reality, to me, it was so layered. Yeah, and yeah, for sure. Well, I, I <laughs> so never layered. I never thought it would be shallow because I knew it was Greta Gerwig, <laughs> and that, like that, you know, that it's was not. Why, that was why I was so surprised because huh, Greta Gerwig and Barbie. And she you know, took, like she took it to such a level that it was another level of fun, bizarre. It was so like it was a lot more bizarre than I expected it to be. As, as bizarre as it was, it was perfectly balanced. With a lot of heart. Well, hmm, some people would disagree. Some people would say it's too feminist. It's and too woke. I, okay, okay. I would just like... Fuck this, you, Ben Shapiro. I would, just, <laughs> I would just like to pose this question though. Why is it that people need to be, like, especially like, like toxic, toxic masculine men, men, would be so insecure about a movie or the brand Barbie itself when it was specifically designed for girls? So why would you be so insecure about well, you know the fragile whole? Uh, I, 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 no, no, no. That's the whole. That, isn't that the whole concept of like toxic masculinity, the patriarchy, and all that? You just assume that everything was for you. So if yeah. if it deviates from that in any way, it's subversive. It's woke. We got to step on that. We got to burn Barbie dolls in a forty-three minute video. I fucking hate uh, how people use woke nowadays. It's in a negative light. Like are these super right? You know these. All the right people, uh, how I, they use it. I just, yeah, I just couldn't really wrap my head around how. Well, how good, pe- how, good for yeah. you because you're not that way, and I'm so proud of you guys for liking it. Like it's, I felt like it's a good test. It's like a misogyny meter. Like you just, I, I would love to suggest this to girls in general. Like bring your dates or your <laughs> for the straight people out there. Bring your dates to Barbie and see how they would react. Because I have stories. I have stories. So that's that's her off that, the that podcast. Actually sounds, that actually <laughs> sounds no, like a good game. No, no, really. Cause here me personally, I watched it with Jason, my boyfriend. And Hi during, Jason. Hi Jason. I love you. Hi Jason. Hi. They love you too. Um <laughs> so we were watching and at at some point, I was considering like, what is he thinking of this? Because obviously, this is so directed towards women and, you know, all our problems. And for some people, it might be too much. But I personally felt that, no, it's just right because this really needs to be drilled into people's heads. That's how fucked up the world is now, how mm. unfair it is. Yep. So at the end of the movie, I was like, so what did you think? It was such a loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> but then, of course, he started with like, oh, that was fun, blah, blah, blah. 
And then there was a pregnant pause. Obviously, I was waiting for something else. And then he was like, but yeah, I, I understand the like how this is a very female point of view and I understand your problems. Mm. So I was like, catching green check mark. Good job, so good job. No red flags here. No red flags, at least for that. But you know, you know, you're just happy. And yeah, I'm also happy that, you know, these guys I work with, I work with and, you know, also love. I felt that way too. And they understood what it was about. Yeah, I've been a fan of Greta Gerwig since Lady Bird. So. Fair enough. And back to the dating part. So I'm not going to name this friend, but hello friend. Because obviously <laughs> if you listen to this and I don't know the person <laughs> I might, you know, who you considered taking the Barbie might, I don't know if they even listen, but okay. Because in my friend's, um, in my friend's experience, she took, a guy she was, you know, seeing, she, you know, they're casually talking. She took them to see Barbie. And afterwards, his reaction was, Kawawa naman si Ken. Ayoko naman maging parang si Ken. Wow. I mean, like, totally missed the point. It was like it flew over his head. And she was like, really? <laughs> I mean, like, really? Ken. X girl, no. He she missed the point of Ken's character. Ken actually had one of the better storylines there. Actually, no, he had the second best storyline there. He had a good storyline, and that is exactly how women characters have felt for so many years. So, you if you don't get that, it's like. Again, again, guys, Barbie started out as a toy, and Ken is a glorified accessory. accessory. He's an accessory, and the creator. Gave uh, him depth. No, 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 no. I was, I was gonna say like the creator of Barbie. Um, oh, the the movie gave him. Depth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, um, um, Ruth Ruth Handler. She said that um, Ken would never marry Barbie. He was conceived as a boyfriend, and that's what he's been ever since. In fact, he wasn't even there with the first line of Barbies. He came into the line like two years later after the doll debuted. So, um. It's not like they're taking something away from Ken with regards to his masculinity or his testosterone or whatever the hell. Like his it, dojo, energy. his mojo dojo. Casa house. Casa house. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, as far as Ken is concerned, being a glorified accessory, it's not like he hasn't already been a punchline for decades. Even in Toy Story, he became what? They made him an ambiguously gay fashion horse. <laughs> Honestly, sorry, an ambiguously gay clothes horse. And and you know what? Everybody laughed because everybody was on the same page. Everybody knew the joke that Ken really is just there to support her. But you're right. The movie takes pains to point out even to him that he can be whatever he wants. He doesn't have to be defined by her. Exactly. He's Kenneth. He's, he's Kenneth. Because, you know, this is what I loved about Barbie. Is it because it humanized those brands? Because on some level, I found myself relating to Barbie. Mm-hmm. On some level, I found myself relating to Ken. Right. So it, it really will take you to the human aspect of the characters and not because they're made for girls. This guy is supposed to be, a, you know, this Ken is supposed to be a man. It's not because of that. It's because there are certain things that you can relate to down to the human aspect of it. Absolutely. And Which, I don't think any of it was coming from a place of hate, honestly. Yeah. Because like this movie takes into account like every... A major point of view or opinion that people have had about this brand for the past 60 years and it addresses them head on and it it takes all those viewpoints like is she a bad role model for women is she just an aspiration is she she an aspirational figure is she a role model or is she just bringing setting feminism back 10 steps 
right? Um, and e- even to the point of including the Barbie Girl song from Aqua, you know? <laughs> no, 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 really. Mattel sued the record label 25 years ago for making that song because the lyrics are really, you know. Racy. They're they're really racy. Mm-hmm. Which one? But I mean, come on! You literally have to undress Barbie to change her clothes. Fair. That's the point of it. Fair. I mean, you really have to undress in general to change clothes. Anything, anyone. Yeah, but there's a line where they call her a bimbo, which uh, you know. Right. Uh. But the point is, the movie acknowledges all of that. Yeah. Literally. And it 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 shows that yes, there are these different points of view, but at the end of the day. It's up to you to own your narrative yeah. and do what you want with your story, mm-hmm, and that's what mm-hmm. I like. They included the Barbie Girl song, but they redid the lyrics, so it's it's empowering. It's not demeaning. They showed Ken as going off the deep end with trying to establish his own life and character, <laughs> but they 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 made it clear at the end you can be whatever you want, dude. Which yeah. is why I thought they humanized the character. Fantastic. Because like in 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 any relationship, to work, you mm-hmm. have to find yourself before. Right. You don't you're not supposed to lose yourself because of your partner. And that's what I thought about why Ken why Ken's story was great. Because he found it in himself to love himself before he would, you know, progress to a relationship. That's what's important is self love, which is why I like the message of Ken's story. And I love that Barbie herself, you know, she starts out as uh, Margot Robbie's Barbie specifically. She starts out as a stereotypical model, but later on she decides that she wants to be more, that she wants to do something with herself to the point of leaving behind the safety and comfort of Barbie land and seeing what the real world is about. And And Birkenstocks. (laughs) I I want pink Birkenstocks, just saying. (laughs) They are more comfortable than heels. I know. And it's okay if yeah, you you know, at first her character was so scared of, you know, being imperfect because she is supposed to be the perfect Barbie. Right. And then she suddenly has flat feet. And then suddenly <laughs> she has cellulite. You know, these are things that, yeah, generally uh, women can be insecure about. But then later on, she pushes on and realizes, you know, there are more important things than Absolutely. worrying Absolutely. about cellulite and flat feet. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the best. Thing, honestly about the screenplay by Greta Gerwig and um, uh, Noah Baumbach because um, these are not people who would sign on to something that didn't have something to say they didn't have yeah. substance like Gerwig for example she made she has made her name directing films a uh, coming of age films for yes. women and in this case it's Barbie who's coming of age yeah I love it so but um, as much as I love Lady Bird and Little Women Noah Baumbach's resume is more ridiculous. All right. Okay. Because right. I, I, this is the man, of course. You know, he he wrote. Um, fuck. <laughs> Shit. Sayang yung build up. Oh, okay. <laughs> Teka lang, ha? You okay. better build it up like that again. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, like, this is the man who wrote um, Marriage Story. Oh! <laughs> what? Like, no. what the actual hell? Okay. No way. He wrote, he directed, he produced Marriage Story. Shit. He also um, wrote and directed movies. The Squid and the Whale. He helped. He wrote The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. No. He did. He absolutely did. No. <laughs> what? Okay. What, what mm-hmm. else? And um, he, he, he wrote Fantastic Mr. Fox, which is also oh, that's such an underrated movie. Right? I love that movie. He, he, he wrote and directed Margot at the Wedding. And this one… I don't know. Maybe he needed the paycheck. He wrote Madagascar 3. <laughs> what? <laughs> Marriage Story. I, I don't know. Aquatic. Marriage Story. Madagascar. Madagascar. Okay. Europe, Madagascar I, I, 3. Okay. Europe's okay. most wanted. I I will I will 
now watch Madagascar 3. <laughs> and I will, look I, for subtext? I will he likes to you, move it, move it. <laughs> hey, that was in the first one, right? Yeah, so now I'm curious what Madagascar 3 is like. Yeah, uh, to be honest, yes. <laughs> right, so like, I'm going to watch Madagascar. I know, because like, given that resume, it, there might be something there we can pick up. It's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but you know, you know, since we're talking about Gerwig and Baumbach. Baumbach? Bombastic, Mr. Baumbach. With all due apologies to Mr. Baumbach. I, I, we'll reach out to no, you no. to get the proper pronunciation. Yeah. So, not not to compare you to Shaggy either. No, no, no. No, no, no. no. But, but what I think that Gerwig and Baumbach did with the script, with the writing of the story. It's so, mm-hmm. so good. Is that they were able to internalize the original vision of Ruth Handler mm-hmm. for the brand. They were able to get, you know, like she designed Barbie specifically for her daughter to play with. Other than, you know, you know, like you mentioned that Barbie is supposed to be an aspirational toy. And they were able to bring that out because, you know, they depicted Barbie with different careers. They gave, um, they were able to tell you right off the bat in the first five minutes of the movie, she was there for something to, for, for, for little girls to look forward to. Mm-hmm. So they could be something other than being a mother. Right. Yes. right. So that, that alone was brilliant because they were able to translate it and make a complete story out of it, not only for Barbie, but for Ken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And going back to that, uh, you know, that little, making little girls happy. The little girl in me was so happy because like the first few minutes of it, the com- everything about it, the production design, how Barbie would wake up each day, greet her friends, give you this entire showcase of Barbie land in perfect color, exactly how you imagined it as a little girl. That was so priceless to me. It was magical. I was tearing up because it felt so nostalgic, like down to the elements of having her kitchen and all her furniture actually just being painted on the walls, actually. <laughs> and like the design, like, you know, most of that house, it's actually just painted on the walls. I like the element of play that they had. Like she would be pouring juice. Yes, <laughs> nothing Sorry, would yeah. come out. Nothing would come out. But then she still knows if it was spoiled or not. Yes, mm-hmm. and you know, showering, you know, nothing came out of those <laughs> Barbie houses. Cold water. Cold water. Exactly. It was amazing. And you know, her going down the slide and not actually getting wet. Oh, the pool. The pool. pool. She just walked over it, you know, and not even having the concept of stairs because that's what you would do as a little girl playing. It captured exactly how it was. Did you have the Barbie car? Yeah. You did. Okay. This movie made me realize that my sister had a lot of the dolls. She didn't have a car. No, no, no. Yes. She didn't have a car. She only had one playset. Mm. She only had the salon. That, that yeah. So just flashback to her childhood. <laughs> I had a car. I had a house. I also had a weird Barbie. <laughs> Not, I, think, I think everybody I think had a weird Barbie. That's, yeah. so, that's what's so great about it. They even acknowledge that, yes, there will be Barbies that you just suddenly want to experiment with. Cut their hair, color their hair with markers, yeah, draw my, on their face. Yeah, you should see my sister who put makeup, quote-unquote, on her Barbie. <laughs> you know? like, and you could see that with Kate McKinnon. Who she was, was phenomenal. Yeah, she was a great weird Barbie. She's perfect. I mean, it could have been reductive, right? Because she's known for these quirky, kooky characters. So you could have said, oh, she's weird. So we have to get Kate McKinnon. But she totally nope. owns it. Yes. And she actually the kind splits of… splits so- <laughs> <laughs> Like she would talk with her, her legs up on the wall. Be like, oh. But we would do that with our Barbies. We would make them fucking split and flip yep. around with their weird, unevenly cut hair. Yep. When we thought we could be hairdressers. But obviously we couldn't. 
I think like the biggest surprise here um, was what you said earlier that that, that it's got layers and that um, it had depth and it humanizes them and all that all those other things. But big a big big part of that is that the marketing completely sold a different movie. If you look at the marketing, if you're not paying attention, or even if you are paying attention, it just looks like a do a pink do over of the Lego Movie. You know, she starts out in her perfect world. Every day is exactly the same. She's Everything always happy. Um, Will Ferrell is a corporate <laughs> bad guy who just <laughs> oh, <no>. wants money. <laughs> And, you know, at some point she has to contend with the fact that the real world isn't as perfect as it is as in her head. And this movie completely subverts that. It, it gets you in a false sense of security at the beginning. It gets them to the real world. And then things take an insane left turn. But I was there for every second. Exactly. Like even every single trip to, <laughs> to the real world, like how they had to go there. You know, a spaceship. Rollerblades. They did those practically, apparently. They really Cute. had like a scrolling background like in the old silent movie days. Yeah. And they had a it. treadmill. Yeah. They had people moving scenery like at different parallax That's speeds. adorable. I freaking love that. It was great. It was just great. Because you could see how much love and affection that the filmmakers had for this world. And it's impressive because Barbie as a character isn't really someone who, like, if I asked you, I mean, fine, it's probably pink, what her favorite color is. No, no, let's go with, um, what's Barbie's favorite food? Do you know? Or or, or what's her origin story? Like, why does she want to be an astronaut? Why does she want to be president? Why does she want to be a doctor? You know, there's no one thing. And that's the cool thing is that the people playing with the dolls could always imprint themselves mm-hmm. on her. Mm-hmm. And I think they did the right choice. They made the right choice in casting Margot Robbie as, as stereotypical Barbie. Cause let's face it, look at her. Um, <laughs> and I, and not for anything, but I think it had more weight in casting someone who was stereotypically conventionally attractive than Amy Schumer, who originally had the role. I love Amy Schumer, but it wouldn't be, in the direction it is now. And I'm yeah. very happy with this direction. Same. Had it gone, I don't know, it could have still gone good. I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say anything about, um, you know, her not being able to live up to the role, but she just wouldn't play it the same and it would be a totally different story. Yes. I yeah. think it would have been probably angstier, more yeah. crass than and, this one. And if already... Some people are saying that this is too feminist or this is too man-hating. I feel like with Amy Schumer, it would just take it to another level. It would be but, more, yeah, in my opinion. It would be more, but Margot we, we, Robbie… We don't know. Yeah, but uh, Margot Robbie… Yeah, again, we don't know. But Margot Robbie had this naivete, this, uh, yes. this earnestness and this, you know, this sincerity in her that she would just be in this perfect world and be so perfectly happy but when it came down to the nuances of her breaking down into an existential crisis Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. she nails it I I love that part when she first confronts the kids and then she just breaks down because everybody loves me yeah so so she thinks so she thinks and then just bam that was one controversy they had in real life for the brand and then she you know, it just hits her. Like, yeah, not everybody can love me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't please everybody. And yeah. her breakdown was just one of the most real things you could see from a doll. Yeah. Quote unquote. Right. Awesome. And it's so obnoxious too, how you see her in this, you know, really pink cowboy outfit <laughs> and facing these angsty teenage girls who are saying, you're setting women back. And little tidbit, 
I uh, well, I saw. I'm not sure how credible this source is, but some people are saying that these four girls, including America Ferreira's daughter in this movie named Sasha, these four girls were actually patterned after the original first releases of Bratz dolls. No way. No. I don't know if people were able to notice it, it. I'm not sure if that was the intention of the filmmakers, but it's just a funny realization. And it would actually fit because these are Barbie's biggest haters. I mean, if you were Mattel, you would have hated them too. I mean, they took out 40, 42% of their market share. I like, like how you just whipped that out. I'm, no, sorry. Because there's this great documentary series on Netflix. and Barb, It's called The Toys That Made Us. And mm-hmm. they have an episode on Barbie. Mm. Oh, that was fun. I suggest yes, you watch it absolutely. after. Because you will appreciate the movie more. Mm. No, no, it's true. Because like I've been, I, I actually, I collect toys, right? I mean, also well, do you. But yes. not necessarily Barbies. <laughs> but I've been telling everyone since that episode of The Toys That Made Us came out, you have to watch it. Even if you've never touched a Barbie doll in your life, you don't have any interest, you have to watch it. Just for the sheer, um, the, the 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 story of the history of this doll is just so incredibly it's colorful. Mm. It's, it's, it's really rich. You, you have to watch it to believe it, honestly. Right. And I like the fact that even pointed out in the movie where that Ruth Handler wasn't perfect. She had her yeah. scandals, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which was great because, you know, it just made it so meta that Mattel can actually poke fun of their founder. Yes. Actually, this is another thing about a lot of people are finding very brave for Mattel that they are so self-aware with down to how many female CEOs have there been? How ridiculous are they portraying Will Ferrell as the current CEO who mm-hmm. is not mm-hmm. a woman? Right. And, you know, all these things surrounding Mattel, but they're just owning it. They're like, eh. Yeah, say that about us. It's fine. We're funding this movie, so it's fine. You know. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, that was super brave. Yeah, super I don't. Brave of them. It's just that we don't see a lot of brands be willing to poke fun at their past like that. Their some history. people, yeah, some people would just like you know want it buried. Let's not. Let's I mean, not, like, you know, Ma- open Pandora's box. Mattel kicked out Ruth Handler for embezzlement, you know, and tax evasion scandals, like white collar crime. <laughs> it's just it's ridiculous, and they even mentioned that. That's their founder. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it also goes as meta as Helen Mirren doing the VO oh. during, oh. during Margot Robbie's <laughs> breakdown when she's like, I'm useless. I'm ugly. And then she says something like, Margot Rob, casting Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling aren't the right people to say that they're ugly. <laughs> something to that extent. Or just Margot Robbie. Yeah. Or just Margot Robbie. I was yeah. just laughing. Yeah, Margot actually. Robbie isn't really the best casting choice to prove this point. <laughs> yes, I think that was the but, but Speaking of casting choices, I, I just need your expert opinion. Um, please tell us about the Kens. Yeah, we can have a thirst portion. Yeah, I think they, yeah, yeah, we, you know, we got time. I can't believe you're actually handing it to me without she me can't even believe. just like you can't. Ha! She can't. She can't. Mm, she cannot. Did you have Kenoff? <laughs> well, uh, my eyes were very happy. Let's just. It was eye candy. Eye <laughs> <Ay>, candy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, Ryan Gosling, Simul mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Yes, from the neck down. Yeah. Whoa. What he oh. built great. Okay. Okay. It's my it's my portion, not yours. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. 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 She's gonna beat you off, man. Oh my god. No, actually, I understand, but then I also understand the charm in his face. So you know, it reached his own, his own, (laughs) or her own, or their own. You can't have enough enemy. So yeah, I was just very happy with the choices of Ken's, and you know, John Cena was there. Yeah, John Cena, (laughs) the mermaid Ken. He was great. 
it's just so funny how you see Dua Lipa as a mermaid. Oh, cool, it's Dua yeah, Lipa. Makes sense to me. Yeah, I like my putong and John Cena. <laughs> the merkin. The, the fun thing is like John Cena apparently wasn't supposed to be in this movie. It's just that like Margot Robbie was having dinner in London, and when she went to pay the bill. They told her, oh, it's already been paid. Well, who paid for it? And he said, oh, Mr. Cena paid for it. She said, where? I didn't see him. Don't say it. <laughs> Do not say it. Can we not, please? Let's not go there. So, it's it, it, just so funny. Shut up. This is so funny. It was right there. <laughs> so she goes up to John Cena in the restaurant in London, and she thanks him. And she's like, you know what? We're shooting Barbie. Do you want to be a mermaid? And he's like, yes. He didn't even look at the script. He's just like, you want to be a mermaid? Yes. So he did all his parts in one day, and apparently they all had a good time. I, mean, like, I wouldn't expect anything less from John Cena. I mean, yeah, this is-, this is the guy who, who who's completely fine making fun of himself. Yeah. Absolutely. And I love him for that. And he just owns it. He's like, <laughs> yes, I am Mercat. <laughs> he's so happy. Yeah, this really made me happy. Uh, but but the bizarre thing is when these cans would have their, you know, their solo song, I'm just can, you know, and how bizarre that scene was and how bizarre they were just like fighting each other and singing to Matchbox 20. <laughs> oh my God, the four, four hours later. <laughs> you know how, it, you know, it's, it starts with just um, Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie in the beach. And then when the shot pulls out, it's all these Ken singing the same no, song. No, I like the Ken who was playing the drums. I know. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> it makes no, absolutely no sense, how but you, it's fucking hilarious. How can you, how can you, Play the drums and sing to a person you're courting, and you know, like make a. You know, there's no rhythm. That's just the beat. <laughs> yeah, it could be like literally any song. Yeah, I mean, like you could probably like rap like, to the beat, but I don't know. <laughs> I mean, people can sing on the drums, but then it's just so. Yeah, people can sing on the drums. Weirdly but- obnoxious to be. S- singing to Matchbox 20's push. I'm just amazed the that these bands allowed their music to be used in this way. In this context, it's hilarious. I mean, like, like, like they used uh, the Spice Girls for a timestamp for Weird Barbie, just to let you know when that was taking place. So that, that was your first clue that uh, the kid who screwed up Weird Barbie wasn't necessarily um, wasn't necessarily the one that was um, causing problems in Barbie Land. Mm-hmm. So um, I. Can you tell us what it was like when America Ferreira hits her big monologue? Because a lot of ink, digital ink has been spilled about this. People have been saying it's too on the nose. Other people are saying it's exactly what we needed to hear. What, 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 what did you think as I'm, a woman? I'm personally, personally, lang to, but I'm not that big of a fan of big monologues like this where they just explain all their, you know, all the characters' feelings and what they're all about just in one outburst. Because, you know, we, we want show, not tell, right? Mm. But then, Greta Gerwig has this way of doing it kind of tastefully because I love the monologue in Little Women. Uh, I also, just here in this moment with America Ferreira, I burst into tears because she executed it with so much angst and anger and like it felt like all the years of her life just trying to be a woman all all the 
all the twists and turns that have to come with being a woman. All that bending over backwards and being just the right amount of perfect, like not too perfect because you'll be intimidating, but not, you know, you have to be a level of, you know, competent. You just, you always have to be working to get to that perfect mix when you're a human. It's so hard to get to that point. I literally burst into tears because I felt every molecule of her being just relating to that. And I also related to that. And I understand how people may think that it's, oh, whoa, this is too much. This is too on the nose. But I feel like a movie like this that has such a strong message on empowering women, this is what's needed because there are the Ben Shapiro's of the world. <laughs> there are yes. like these people who just don't get equality, period. These are the people who think feminists want to just like take over the world and Kill all men. That's not the point. That is not the point. We just want to be able to breathe for a second and just be ourselves without all the pressures of being a woman. Whether that's choosing to be a mother or just choosing to have your own career, choose to be single like Barbie. Mm -hmm. Like whatever direction we go in life, we don't want to be judged because... <laughs> and we also get paid less. <laughs> you know, all the things that come over. And this feels like one of those monologue moments, but it's just what the world needs because some people just don't fucking get it. Yeah, it's, it's like one of those times that can never be said enough at yeah. this point. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. I like that, um, that this message is being conveyed now in a mainstream film, yeah. in a family film, and in a film that I think that more people absolutely should see. Um, um, there was another moment in the film. Um, this actually, this one made CC dang tear up, actually. Um, was when Margot Robbie sits down with this old woman. Oh, oh no. yeah. I think um, that was when my and wife cried. Yeah. I cried too. I'm sorry. And she tells the old lady, but you're beautiful, right? And um, Greta Gerwig. Just remembering it. I'm sorry. Greta Gerwig <sighs> admitted because this happened during the editing process editing process that yo we got a two hour movie we could cut this 90 second scene no, no one's gonna miss it it's beautiful and Gerwig said yeah it doesn't contribute anything to the narrative but it contributes to Barbie's growth and if we don't have this scene in here talking about different kinds of beauty and acceptance and women supporting women then I don't know what this movie's about if we cut this scene. Exactly. So she left it in and it's no. it was like my favorite moment, honestly. Same, same. And yes, I agree with, with you on monologues being exposition dumps and narrative yeah. um, hitting over the head on the nose, whatever. I, I, I liked her performance of the monologue, but I still think this quiet scene has more impact. Mm. I, I like that scene. That, that, that scene. That was just beautiful. That was sublime, honestly. It, it, it wasn't too long mm -hmm. but it just was the right amount of screen time and, and it spoke volumes in my opinion yeah. it, it's it's it addresses the brand's controversies about what the ideal woman should look like mm -hmm. um you know like if you would look at some of the older toys of barbie they would have accessories like books that say how to lose weight and then at the back it would read don't eat mm, so the, you yeah. know like you know and then they would put the weighing scale right. so at, at that which goes to the contradictions with the, of the expectations. Exactly, which is that, why that society is placed on women. Yeah, which is which is what what this scene to me meant was that the no beauty is not because of what you look. Mm -hmm. Beauty is who you are. Yeah, 
And so, which that is was beautiful. So which is absolutely why that scene that. was so great, in my opinion. Yeah. And that 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 old lady was actually Academy Award winning costume designer and Roth. What she won? No. She won Oscar, <laughs> an Oscar for the English Patient. Oh my god! She's she, English Patient. Yeah, oh, dude. Where does Gurmit get her? She also got nominated for the talented Mr. Ripley, The Hours, you know. So this wasn't just some nobody. Um, Gerwig packed this thing with women who have something to say. Um, even down to using um, Daniel Vito's ex-wife, Rhea, Rhea Perlman. She as younger Andrew. here. She looks younger here than she looked at Matilda. <laughs> what the hell, man? I'm sorry. I just had to say that. <laughs> but… Yes, I mean, I I think it was a beautiful movie, mm-hmm. but I, not- I'm, well, I'm glad to have both moments because that moment for I guess us who can read into the meaning right. and also the monologue for people who just need to fucking get it. I I agree with you. It it had to be. I hate that we live in a society where it has to be spelled out exactly in that way. Exactly. But the way it was handled was so well. America uh, Ferrera was it was so amazing. good. Um. It's kind of sad that when it comes to guys in, or men, you know, in general, um, they're basically divided now into um, toxic masculinity mm-hmm. or allies. I'm like, what, why, is it ha- why do we have to have these um, delineations? Why can't we all just try and be good people and treat people the way you want to be treated? You know, the fact that you have to say ally means that there is still a fight going on. Well, it's the reality and we should just keep pushing until, you know, we get to that. And I feel like I also saw this that, you know, they're acting out now because they realize that, you know, they're being cornered. So I feel like I hope this is just going into that explosion of them finally realizing because we're not backing down anymore. Mm. We have these movies to like tell you to your face that, this is what we're fighting for and we're not mm-hmm. gonna we're not gonna be pushed over like you've done for centuries or for since time ever since time began you know since time immemorial yeah <laughs> so safe to say we'd like this one too and i'm so happy you guys did so i appreciate that that was you know like even without the context or the layers of it this movie is just Freaking fun. Yeah. I love I love a movie that can entertain you and, you know, it has was, something to say and teaches you something at the same it time. It was just so fucking bizarre. But then it had so much substance. So bizarre. It could have gone so wrong, you know. It, it, that, that's you why. You have Scott Pilgrim fighting, you know, Ryan Gosling and Shang-Chi and Scott Pilgrim. So, 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 so Scott Pilgrim can beat Shang-Chi in a fist fight. In a beach off. In a beach off, yes. Mm. Oh my god, I just remembered Ryan Gosling trying to surf. Yeah. <laughs> that was so dumb. But so it adorably it was so dumb. Good. I, I think that Gosling and Robbie should get more comedies moving forward. Yes. Honestly, yes. their timing is ridiculous in a good way. The chemistry was great. Yeah. The chemistry between those two were great. Yeah. And, and I love seeing actors. Not take themselves too seriously, you know. Mm. Like Ryan Gosling, we've seen him in so many movies, serious movies, and we already know how great of an actor he is. So just, he just has this role, which is just so fucking goofy. That too, l- too goofy. Too goofy. <laughs> a, a little bit cringy, but it, I think that's the effect that you want to get. So yes, all the way. Amazing. And you know, it's that bizarre that it might have its flaws of me thinking like, huh, there are some holes here, but you know. It works. <laughs> like, okay, we can get to it. Is it okay? Yeah, but, go ahead. Um, I 
So what was the point of Will Ferrell and the entire <laughs> Mattel team going to Barbie Land? It's not. It's like okay. I don't know. <laughs> I, it, it, like at, at this point, right? Because Ken is already the villain yeah, at this point. Yeah, villain, know, quote unquote. Quote unquote. But we know we know the antagonist there. Yeah, the antagonist of the movie is Ken and not Will Ferrell. Yeah, but you know, he, you know, he just went there and then oh, he noticed the chaos. But it could have happened without them. But then it wouldn't. I don't know. I I, I just think it was an excuse to exploit Will Ferrell's comedic <laughs> skills. I think so too. I mean, we got him. We paid for I mean, him. I Let's give him it. something to do. I loved it, but I didn't. I didn't see the point. I thought it was fucking hilarious, but I think. I think part of it was. Or was it an opening for um, Ruth to come out? Also possible. But I, I mean, again, Mattel. <laughs> it wasn't as clear to me, but you know, it was an opportunity for Mattel to say, "We made this movie. We're making fun of our CEO." We can do that. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. But I think also it was like um, trying to justify that whole thing where you keep waiting for him to do something totally evil because he's Will Ferrell and he's a bad guy in a toy movie and we saw that already. So we're expecting him. But it just, you're right. By the time that they reveal Ken as the antagonist, he, he is largely redundant, which I also have the same feeling about um, America Ferrell's daughter. Like at some point, she just stops being a factor in this movie. Yeah. After the mom's monologue, you don't need the daughter anymore. Yeah. No. She's just there. Actually, when 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 we when there was the reveal that it was America Ferrera who was playing with the Barbie, I was like, mm, so what's her role going to be like? I was just about done with her. Being, well, the, being the fourth Bratz doll, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Or oh. maybe real. Well, I get it that maybe she's like learning more about her mom, so she doesn't. You know, she's at this age where you probably hate your parents, but you know she. In this movie, clearly, she was at that age. Yeah. So <laughs> this is where you find a newfound appreciation for your mother and yeah. everything she's been through in her childhood. I guess that's it. But then it wasn't. You know, you don't see that turning point. There's Suddenly no she's just like, yeah, there's no all. catharsis. No, no, exactly. With, with she her. just gets on board when she yeah. sees what the mom and Barbie are doing. Yeah. You know, maybe I guess because what she was fighting for, because she had this little spiel that made Barbie cry. Nobody makes Margot Robbie cry <laughs> except her. But anyway, uh, she had this this little speech. Maybe at that point in time, maybe she was already in line with her mom. You know, she didn't know that her mom was going through so much or went through so much as an adult. Because yeah, but it's like we're reaching. We, we, you shouldn't we, have to make excuses yeah. for the screenplay. And that's, at some point, true. I think they just had to admit that the daughter wasn't as interesting as watching the Ken's beach off, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and having America Ferrera make her peace with her past and her present and her possible future, and have Barbie have her realizations and have Ken have his realizations. There was nothing left for the daughter to do. Yeah, yeah. which was yeah. It was just funny because at first, like, oh, she's going to the daughter. Why does she have cellulite? The daughter doesn't have... Oh, it's mama. Hmm. Mama was the one playing with Barbie. Okay. But overall, you know what? I really liked it. Well, again, um, we're nitpicking, yeah, but it's still it's amazing. Yeah. You know, this is what a movie podcast is all about. Just uh, think, thinking of, like, the different angles and shit. Yep. So, all things considered, I think um, your Barbenheimer... Um, experience was a success. I would do it over and over and Because Anjo and I had the open Arby, open Arby. experience. Open Barbie. Open Barbie? No, you, Barbies you. are more valuable if they remain in the box though. Mm, that is true. Well, as toy dudes, fine. <laughs> <laughs> 
But uh, it, I'm just so happy this happened. And either way, if you don't have the capacity or time to watch both. Or the if you Well, yeah. The bladder. Yeah. Or if you just had to choose one, you wouldn't lose either way. That's true. Yeah. Well, I feel like I lost because I didn't see both on IMAX. Uh, at least Oppenheimer and okay, IMAX. Okay. Watch it again. It's fine. Yeah, that's a good I excuse. have an excuse to watch Oppenheimer and IMAX because my wife hasn't seen it. Awesome. Mm. Don't spoil it. Don't I won't spoil, spoil it. it. I mean, like, no, it's history. The, the atomic bomb has gone off. So many documentaries. <laughs> yeah. fair, it's not really fair. spoiling. Okay. Amazing. So, I'm just so happy. To I think we it. need a second brunch. Um, <laughs> to Are we hobbits? <laughs> hobbits. I'll answer that when we get to fourth breakfast. Mm. What about 11 C's? Oh, don't forget, forget about 11 C's. Right. So clearly we had a good time with these two movies. We've gone a little bit longer than we usually do. But we think that um, the topics were totally worth it. Yes, we did a double feature today. Absolutely. Ooh. And we look forward to hearing from you guys what you think of these two films. Did you guys attempt the Barbenheimer experience? Did you do them one at a time? Have a little brunch in between? Let us know. We have a Facebook group. Saboteurs, we like movies. We also have a Facebook page, Saboteurs Podcast. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok. And we are always open to hearing what you guys are into, what you guys want to see that is coming up. And also, do you agree with us? Do you not agree with us? Do you think this background music is obnoxious? You have to tell us. It is very obnoxious. Because until then, we don't know. In the meantime, we are your hosts. I'm Misha. I'm Maggie. And I'm Angel. Thank you. Not Alan. <laughs> Nobody wants to be Alan. Who is Alan? Thank you, Christopher like, Nolan and Greta Gerwig. This was such a rewarding Michael experience. Michael Sarah as himself. Oh my God. <laughs>